Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. All right, if you would, let's please take out our Bibles now and turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 185 in the back part, and you would find yourself located at 1 John chapter 2. You know, Christmas season is a season that's always been traditionally in our culture related to the idea of gifts. And some of our gifts that we get for Christmas, and you might be thinking about back to your own situation, are especially memorable. And some of the gifts that we get, really, there's more to them than we realize. And I want to share with you uh, one of the most memorable gifts that I ever got, and it's right up here. And this is a flexible flyer, airline pursuit, model 47H. And uh, this particular sled was manufactured from 1955 to 1960. And some of my best memories as a young boy are when I lived in Glenrock, New Jersey, uh, from the winter, the winter of which I was 9 and 10 years old. And what we had in Glenrock is we had this great hill. There were some houses up on this hill, and their lots went back down. And... Uh, it would go down to the very bottom, and there was this, this little brook that was down there that was probably five, six, seven, eight inches deep. And uh, what we would do on that hill is we had a blast. We would go down that hill, and there were obstacles and trees we would have to go around. And one of the coolest things we would try to do is see who could get to the closest to the brook without going in, meaning you had to do this hard turn uh, as you got down to that little brook. Great times, great memories. I just think about that time even now. Uh, I, I would love to be able to duplicate that experience. But you know, you, you have this memorable gift, but there was actually a whole lot more to this than I initially realized when I got this. In fact, I didn't even realize everything about this until I was doing some research this week. You know, flexible flyer sheds were man, uh, sleds were um, manufactured by the S.L. Allen Company out of Philadelphia. It was originally a farm implement company that began to make sleds as just a sideline. But what made them really stand out was a patent that S.L. Allen developed in 1889. Because in 1889, they came out with the very first in American history steerable sled. Thus the name Flexible Flyer. And they, are, they were incredible. In fact, it's even stamped on the back of my sled, Super Steering. And that's what it had. I mean, you could really steer around things. That's where the name Flexible Flyer came from. And then what was really interesting, as I said, this is an Airline Pursuit 47H and all that stamped on the back of the sled. Uh, the airline series brought out another innovation from S.L. Allen in 1935. Before that, sleds in the United States of America 
had rails that at the end of them went straight back. And they were pointed. And what would happen is that at times, uh, people would be in danger of getting impaled if they rear-ended somebody else on their sled or getting their, their hands cut or their face cut. So what they did with the airline series in 1935 is they changed things. And they took that very, very straight rear um, runner and they curved it back and looped it back into the sled. And so that happened in 1935. So this, there was a lot more to this gift than I even realized. You know, what was really startling to me, though, was as I was doing some research on my sled, my 50s-era sled, version 47H, you know where it took me on the internet? Took me to antiques and collectibles sites. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I guess I'm becoming more of an antique myself every week, but uh, this is over 50 years old and uh, still still would work if I had the snow, you know, to operate on it. You know, the, the problem with this gift was that you could only use it in the winter. And then the other problem was you could only really use it on deeper snow and on packed snow. And most of the years that we've lived, you know, some 34 years in Oklahoma, we, we don't get enough snow to really be able to use my flexible flyer uh, pursuit um, 47H. You know, the best gifts are gifts that you can utilize every, every single day. And we're involved in a series this month that we have entitled The Gift. And of course, the gift that we're talking about is the gift of Jesus. And the person of Jesus, really, when he comes, brings to us not just himself, but a whole series of, of gifts. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as our mediator That's part of a gift that he brought us. Last week, Mark talked about how Jesus brings peace, and that's a gift that he gives to us. Today, we want to talk about Jesus as our advocate. That's part of the gift that he brings to us. And if you have your Bible open to 1 John chapter 2, I want you to look with me at verse 1. The Apostle John is writing here, and he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is given a lot of titles in the New Testament, and titles are a little bit like snowflakes. At a glance, they seem to be very much the same, but when you examine them more closely, when you zoom in for a moment, you'll find out that they are unique, and they unveil a different facet of the person of Christ. So we want to look at the gift of Jesus as advocate today, and we're going to do that in three steps. First of all, we're going to look at the concept of an advocate What does this really mean? And then we're going to look at the picture of the advocate that the Bible is giving us. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the application for us. So let's delve more deeply into Jesus and his gift to us as being our advocate. Now, we said that this was written by the Apostle John. Uh, It was written when he was approximately 90 years old. And so it's very natural for someone who's 90 years old to write 
to other adults and say, my little children. He's looking at them as his children of faith. And he says there in verse 1, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. He, he's basically saying, I, I just want you to know I don't endorse, I don't condone, I don't encourage sin in your lives. Rather, what I would like to do as your spiritual father is have you choose to stay away from sin. But notice he goes on to say, and if anyone sins, I mean, he's being realistic, it's, it's going to happen, we're going to fail, we're going to fall. And he says, I don't want you to do that, but if and when it happens, it's important to understand, look there in verse 1, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you have an NIV, it says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. The New Living Translation puts it this way, we have someone to plead for you before the Father. So let's try to understand this concept of someone who functions as our advocate. Basically, the idea behind someone being our advocate is just someone who's called alongside of us to give us help and to be our helper. This term was used in the Greek world of uh, usually in a legal setting, in a courtroom setting. And an advocate in that culture was someone who was a friend of the accused, someone who would plead on their behalf. An advocate could be a counsel for their defense. And I just want us to to realize there's a difference between being a mediator and being an advocate. We looked at the mediator two weeks ago. A mediator is a go-between. A mediator is a middleman. A mediator is someone who's on an equal level with both parties. Remember, we talked about that. An advocate is different from that. An advocate just represents one side. An advocate is a friend of the one who is accused. An advocate is a counsel for the defense. And the very fact that this term comes up, that Jesus is our advocate, suggests that we reside in an atmosphere where there's conflict, where there's charges, where there's accusation, where there's a need for us to be defended, where there is a possibility of a verdict being rendered against us. So when it says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, it clearly implies that there are charges coming at us, that there are accusations coming at us. And when you have charges and accusations coming at us, the question we want to say is, who is going to be our defense counsel? Who's going to plead on our behalf? Who is going to be our friend? And our friend is described right there in verse 1 as Jesus Christ the righteous. If you ever find yourself in a legal setting or, or with charges or accusations being levied against you, there's, there's just nothing more confident breeding or, or, or just makes you feel more comfortable than to know you have competent counsel. You know, a number of years ago, my, my wife Janet was involved in a car wreck and she was hit from behind by a high-speed vehicle and uh, a lot of damage to the car and a lot of damage to her. 
But what was really interesting is the person who hit her filed a lawsuit against us for the damage to their car and, you know, damages to their person that happened to them, which then turned around. Our insurance company had to countersue back to them. And for a, a number of weeks, we, we really never knew who was going to represent us in court. It's a little, it's a riddle, a, a little bit intimidating to know you're going to go to full jury trial. And finally, the insurance company uh, presented us with the appointed attorney who would represent us in court. And I just want you to know, once we, we got to meet that guy and we knew that he was going to be there for us and represent us and plead our case, we just were so much more at ease. By the way, just a little aside, we won that case in court. That was a good thing. So we have a, an advocate who's Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our defense attorney par excellence. Jesus Christ the righteous, he is uncontaminated by sin. He is qualified to intercede for other people. He's not only uncontaminated, he's unhindered. He has all the ability, all the insight we would ever need. He's never going to be outfoxed in the courtroom because he's Jesus Christ the righteous. He's not only uncontaminated, unhindered, he's also got unlimited resources. Whatever we're going to need, whatever we're going to need, he's going to be able to cover it. So, so I just want you to see that's the concept of someone functioning as an advocate. But I do want us now to turn and personalize this a little bit by looking at the picture of an advocate or of the advocate in our situation. And the picture seems to be this. It's, it's a picture of the high court of heaven. And the picture is that the Father is the judge. And us, we are the accused. And the Lord Jesus is the advocate. What's missing? Who is the accuser in this situation? You have the Father as the judge. We, us, are the accused. The Lord Jesus is the advocate. Who is the one who accuses us? Well, in Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we get the answer to that. This is talking about a future event, but it's talking about the character of the accuser of us. Notice it says in Re Revelation 12, 9, it says, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. We have it very clearly there. The accuser who accuses the brethren before God day and night. And who is it? None other than Satan and the devil. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it uses a technical term there, and it says that the devil is our legal opponent. And the word Satan just means adversary. And in a courtroom, who is your adversary? It's the person who is bringing the charges against you. And so what we see with this whole picture is a scene not unlike the scene that occurs in the book of Job in chapter number one. And you could go and, and look at that later on. But there you have the devil coming to God, and he is bringing charges against Job. 
And here is the idea, I think, the picture that we have. And even though we're not hearing this, this is happening. The devil comes to God the Father, and he says something like this. God, you are righteous, holy, and just. And your justice demands that sin be judged. Now, thinking about that, God, here's what I'm thinking about. What about Bruce? What about Ryan and Matt and Chris? And what about Janet? And what about Sarah and Elizabeth and Melanie? What about them, God? What about when they lost their temper and they blew up? What about the time that they criticized another person behind their back? What about the time that they were deceitful to their parents? What about the time they went further on a date than their conscience said that they should go? What about the time that they were in the room by themselves and they had the internet up and they were viewing things that, you know, God, were not pleasing to you? What about those things, God? Your justice demands that sin be judged. And we all know it's true. I mean, part of all of our lives are just a mess. We know that a week doesn't go by where we don't act selfishly or we get angrier or bitter or even become a little vengeful towards somebody else. We know every week we are running to certain idols in our life that we run to before we run to the Lord to find comfort. And by the way, it's not just sins of commission, things that we do. It's also sins of omission, things that we fail to do. We choose to ignore some of the closest people in our life, uh, maybe when their needs are the greatest. Or maybe we fail to be patient and long-suffering towards our kids. I mean, boy, that happened a lot in our family. Maybe we just coasted when we were at work, not really giving a full day's effort for the glory of Jesus Christ, but just goofing off. Or maybe we failed to extend forgiveness to our spouse or to our kids or to our parents or to a neighbor. Maybe we knew about a, a, a great need that somebody had and we just failed to minister to them because we were just too busy to really think about it. Not only sins of commission, but sins of omission. And so the enemy steps forward and says, your justice demands that sin be paid for. Now, here's the picture. At that point, the advocate steps before the judge. And there's a couple of things that do not happen when the advocate steps forward. There's going to be no denial or excuses. Uh, you don't really understand, Father, but you know, Bruce was really tired, he was a little irritable, he's got a worn out. You know, it's just kind of a rough week for him. That doesn't happen at all. There's gonna be no plea for leniency. I mean, you gotta give him a break. You know, let, let's let him do this a couple more times and then we'll talk about justice. There's none of that. There's no slick maneuvering that goes on at all when the advocate steps forward. Rather, here's what happens. The advocate steps forward and goes, you know what? The accuser is right. 
100% right, and I want to acknowledge their guilt completely. However, this case has already been decided. This penalty has already been paid by my sacrifice. Remember what it says there back in 1 John 2? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation just means the total legal satisfaction. It pays everything owed. This has already been paid for, the advocate says. Now think about that for just a moment. It's absolutely, totally, thoroughly incredible. Did you wake up today thinking about this? We have the greatest defense attorney in the entire universe, and he represents us? It's amazing how people can get into serious trouble, and one of the first things you you want them to do is get the best attorney maybe in that state. We have the best attorney in the entire universe who's representing us. He happens to be the judge's son, and he's already paid the penalty. And when the adversary gets through with laying out all the accusations and all of the objections, the advocate steps up and he represents us. He turns to the heavenly father and he says, likely something like this. Father, based on my sacrifice and legal payment for what Bruce did or failed to do, I want to remind you of something, father, and that is this. You have promised to remember Bruce's and anyone who knows me as Savior, you have promised to remember their sin no more. You have promised to pardon all their iniquities. You have promised to remember their sin no more. You have promised that as far as the east is from the west, that far you have removed their transgressions from them. And Father, did I mention that you promised to remember their sin no more? And the judge, the heavenly Father, leans forward and looks directly in the eye of the adversary and says, objection overruled. Is that not an amazing picture? That is unbelievable. We talk about the gift of Jesus. He brings many aspects of gifts to us. But one of the most blessed ones is that Jesus brings the gift to be my advocate, your advocate. There's some great phrases in the New Testament about this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, It says that Jesus appears in the presence of God for us. That alone ought to change our attitude on a daily basis. He appears in the presence of God the Father for us. And the most amazing thing is he knows everything about us. There's no hidden things here. We're not pulling anything off. He knows about all of our guilt. He knows about all of our failure. 
and yet he has chosen to continually represent us as our advocate. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, it says this, he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for us. It's just a daily thing. He's doing this every single day. And in my case, he probably needs to do it every single minute. Do you see how even the gift of Jesus can be a whole lot more than we initially realize? Just need to do a little more research to understand it. Now, I will say this. I think we can better understand it, but I don't really think we're going to fully grasp this in, in this life. I don't think we're going to really know until we get to walk into heaven what all this really meant, that he is our advocate. He will, because of his work, remember our sin no more. I like the way Max Lucado puts his words together. Here's what he said. God doesn't just forgive. He forgets. He erases the board, he destroys the evidence, he clears the computer. He doesn't remember my mistakes. For all the things he does do, this is one thing he refuses to do. He refuses to keep a list of my wrongs. When I ask for forgiveness, he doesn't pull out a clipboard and say, well, I've already forgiven him for that 516 times. He doesn't remember. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. No, he, he doesn't remember, but I do, you do. We still remember. You're like me. In the cellar of your heart lurk the ghosts of yesterday's sins, sins you've confessed, errors of which you've repented, damage you've done your best to repair. And though you're a different person, the ghosts still linger. Though you've locked the basement door, they, they still haunt you. They float to meet you, spooking your soul and robbing your joy. With wordless whispers, they remind you of moments when you forgot whose child you were. That horrid lie, that business trip you took away from home that took you so far from home. The time you exploded in anger, those years spent in the hollow of Satan's hand, that day you were needed but didn't respond, that date, that jealousy, that habit, poltergeists from yesterday's pitfalls, spiteful specters that slyly suggest, are you really forgiven? Sure, God forgets most of our mistakes, but do you think he could actually forget the time you? As a result, your spiritual walk has a slight limp. Oh, you're, you're still faithful, but just when you begin to make strides, just when your wings begin to spread and you prepare to soar like an eagle, the ghost appears. It emerges from the swamps of your soul and causes you to question yourself. The ghost spews words of accusation, deafening your ears to the promises of the cross, and it flaunts your failures in your face, blocking your vision of the sun, S-O-N. Think about this. If he didn't forget, how could we pray? 
How could we sing to him? How could we dare enter into his presence if the moment he saw us, he remembered all of our pitiful past? How could we enter his throne room wearing the rags of our selfishness and gluttony? We couldn't. Do yourself a favor and remember and remember that he forgot. And the presence of the person of Jesus, the gift that he gives us as our advocate, advocate, ensures that it is so that he does not remember. You know, sometimes we look at a gift and there's a whole lot more involved than we initially realize. The third thing we want to do today is to take some time and to look at the the application of this for us. What does this really mean? What should this mean this next week? What should this mean as we're celebrating Christmas? What does it mean as we get ready to go into a a new year? What difference should this make in my life? Well, I think it should lead to at least two things. Number one, it should lead to a grateful, praising heart. A grateful, praising heart. I'm not a big, a big guy with poetry, especially if it's poetry that goes on a long time. I just don't hang in there very well. I took a, a poetry class when I was in college. Did not get a very good grade, just so you know. But sometimes people just capture something very simply. I, I like this little piece that someone wrote. Yesterday, he helped me. Today, he did the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Isn't that amazing? When is the last time from deep inside of inside of you you express gratitude to Jesus Christ for daily representing you before the Father. I'm not talking about, you know, thank you, Lord, for the food. I'm talking about deep inside from the inner part of your being. When's the last time you express gratitude and praise to God for the gift of Jesus? Probably been too long. That's one thing we need. that this should lead to is a a grateful and, and praising heart. Secondly, it should lead to a life that honors him. When you begin to unpack, it's like doing research on the internet about flexible flyers. When you begin to unpack this, you're just, you know, wow, this should be a motivation for us to live differently. You know, in in the book of Titus, in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says this. It talks about the grace of God, which is what brings us this salvation and this gift of Jesus. And it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And when we are choosing not to do that, when we want to have a little kissing affair with ungodliness, when we find ourselves allowing ourselves to participate in worldly passions and we're living in an unself-controlled life that's not really upright and not godly, what is our primary problem that we're having? We've lost sight of the wonder of the gift. And when you look at it freshly, it should lead to the motivation to live differently because of him. It should make a difference in what we watch. It should make a difference in what we read. It should make a difference in how we relate to other people. It should be making a difference to my desire to have my life be at his disposal for his honor and for his glory. The gift of Jesus as our advocate. Greatest thing that ever happened to me. Nothing else even compares. Not even a flexible flyer, air pursuit, 47H. There's nothing like knowing that you are forgiven. I don't know where everybody's coming from spiritually. But the most important question of the morning is this. Have you received the gift? Have you received the gift? The greatest gift that's ever been given. You know, here's the the words of a classic hymn. It says this. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. And the most amazing thing about the gospel message is that you don't have to do anything special. It's not jumping through hoops. It's not getting up. It's not moving here, coming over there. It's a spiritual transaction that happens inside somebody's heart and life. It's where we understand who Jesus Christ is. We understand why he has come. And what he wants us to do is to receive that gift by faith, to believe inside of ourselves. Yes, I am sinful. Yes, I'm being hammered by Satan and the devil. I need an advocate with the Father. I need Jesus Christ, the righteous, who came and bled and died for me. So you can do that right where, if you've never done that, you can do that right where you're sitting. This is going to be the greatest Christmas of your whole life. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you that we can be reminded today of the power of the Word of God and the power of the message of salvation that Jesus Christ came to this world to bring. And here we are talking about his birth. It's just the beginning of the work that he would do. And I would just pray you would refresh all of our hearts We need this. Sometimes life can beat us down. And we would pray that every one of us would live a little differently 
live a life more effectively that honors him this week. We pray for those who have never trusted that they would understand this is the most important thing they can do in their life. And for all of us, Father, we know that looking at this truth should definitely lead to a grateful, praising heart. And that is how we want to end today. We want to sing a Christmas song, Joy to the World, with a whole different attitude, thinking about what it means that Jesus is the gift of our advocate. We want to honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 